Father God, um, thank you for uh, your great plans for your world. Thank you for um, uh, yeah, your promises in your word, in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament that uh, point us to Christ. Thank you for what you are doing in and through him. Uh, thank you for the role that um, we can play as part of your, um, your great plans. But Father, thank you for your word, your written word that... Um, uh, we can learn about you. We pray that today, as we uh, hear, hear it read and preached, um, do a work through, um, through your word and by your spirit in our hearts uh, and shape us and change us by who you are and by your great purposes and plans. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us read together from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sin, our de debts, as we all have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Thanks, Shannon. Well, you know, you've heard the saying, right, that familiarity breeds contempt. Um, I reckon familiarity can also just breed um, blindness. So I've got a picture up on there. It's a, um, just to fill you in on... Uh, here's my, okay, this is, I took this this morning. It's actually remarkably clean, my desk. Usually it's a lot um, messier than that. And um, what I find is that things live on my desk for so long that after a while I have to point, put, uh, I kind of just become blind to them and I have to have think for a while, now why did I put that on my desk? Uh, you're all much more organised than me, I know, but uh, uh, if you, ha you have that sort of thing, right? Um, okay, you can get that off, no one else needs to. Uh, you have that sort of thing, right? Um, and not only uh, things like maybe your desk, you've got the uh, you know, the, the, the couch in the corner that's just looking tired with a few stains on it, but after a while you just totally don't see it at all, you've got uh, whatever it is, um, familiarity can kind of breed that blindness, right? Sometimes things can become invisible. The same can happen with prayer, especially the prayer that we're looking at today, the Lord's Prayer. If you've been around churches um, for very long, um, you probably will be familiar with this prayer, um, it's probably 
uh, I sort of read this this week and I, I thought, yes, it's probably right. It's probably the most repeated set of words in the history of the world. That's interesting, isn't it? This, this prayer that we're looking at is probably the most repeated set of words in the history of the world. And for good reason. Um, Jesus gave us very little direct teaching on prayer. Um, but what he did give, uh, for what he did give, this prayer that we're looking at lies right at the heart of it. And Christians of all stripes have prayed this prayer together as part of their gatherings. Um, ever since the first Christians, ever since Jesus. Uh, we do it here, and we'll keep doing it here. Um, but I, we do need to be aware of our own hearts and on the watch for this possibility that familiarity might breed blindness <laughs> um, and that we might miss out on the riches of what is here because it is rich um, it is unimaginably rich. When we pray this prayer, we're praying for some of the most wonderful and biggest and actually some of the scariest things we can pray for. Um, it's good to pray it, and it's good to pray it often, but we mustn't let our hearts dull it or kind of try to tame it. Uh, one way to do that is to see, is to do it, hopefully, what we've been doing over the last few weeks, to see prayer in the big picture of the Bible. Um, that's what we've, we've tried to do over the last few weeks, uh, to hear from God's word how that we were made for relationship with God, face to face. That's what we were created for, that's what we will be redeemed for, those people who are in Christ. Um, we've lost that intimacy with God because of our sin. We turn away from him. We look to other things to satisfy us. We're cut off from him in ourselves. But what we can't do on our own, what we won't do on our own, God has done for us through the gospel of Jesus. Uh, if you are united to Jesus by faith, if you've put your trust in Jesus, then you are in him and God is your father who loves to hear you um, Jesus makes every prayer pleasing to the Father and the Spirit helps us as we pray. We like, well, that's what we looked at last week. These wonderful realities. Um, what we're going to do this week and next week, as Steve mentioned, is see how the Lord's Prayer, um, uh, having gone through that, sort of laid that foundation, the, the theological foundation, I guess, of everything of, of the story of the Bible. See how the Lord's Prayer shows us the priorities of prayer in the light of the gospel. Um, it, you get this prayer in both Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel. Uh, they both record it slightly differently. Luke's a bit shorter. Uh, but in Luke's version, we're going to be looking at Matthew's version today, uh, today and next week, but in Luke's version, he's, uh, it starts off with the disciples asking Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Um, and what Jesus doesn't do is, he, don't, he, don't, he doesn't say, well, uh, come on a five-day prayer retreat and learn the seven secrets of powerful prayer. Um, he gives a prayer that is so short and simple that it's easy to miss. It, it's not a mantra to be mindlessly repeated. What we'll see today is this prayer is a wonderful invitation to have our hearts recalibrated so that we love what God loves. 
Um, so that the things that just flow out of us when we pray are the heart of God, the desires of God. But before we get to the prayer, Jesus tackles how not to pray. Um, it's not about techniques or getting the words right. If we've seen prayer in the big picture, we'll see that there's a real freedom in the gospel prayer. God is our Father. Jesus mediates for us. The Spirit intercedes for us. Jesus does warn us against wrong prayer, but notice it's, it's not, he doesn't warn us, warn us about particular techniques or it's not at the surface level. He goes right to the hearts. Now, and there's two ways to pray that Jesus warns people to steer clear of. Verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This first way Jesus says, steer clear of how to pray. Don't pray to be seen by other people. There's a way, there is a way of praying that's more about yourself. <laughs> That's more about getting attention for yourself than about humble, dependent trust in God your Father. And it's something intangible, it's not a technique. Uh, it's, it's about our hearts. Um, there is a way of praying that just loves hearing people say, Oh, you really know how to pray. You are such a good prayer. When the reality is, None of us know how to pray without the Spirit. None of us are good prayers in and of ourselves. We are all equal under sin and under grace. It's sobering that Jesus says this kind of prayer, praying in order to be seen by other people, you see what Jesus says about it? Uh, people who pray for that reason have received their reward in full. They have, there is something that they get out of it, the approval of other people, and that's all. <laughs> that's all, that's it. They've received their reward in full. But Jesus says it's far better to pray behind closed doors. Real prayer is not done before the eyes of people for the approval of other people. Gospel prayer is done before the eyes of God alone. I don't think this can be Jesus saying that we can never pray together or in public, um, given that that's what you see all through the New Testament. What it is saying is, don't pray together or in public in order to be seen, in order to fuel your pride. Um, but there's a second way of praying that Jesus warns against. It's slightly different. It's not so much trying to earn other people's favour. It's praying in order to earn God's favour. Um, verse 7. When you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So this is the person who thinks, if only I get the technique right, or if only I pray the right way uh, with enough, if I pray long enough, hard enough, then God will hear me. If I, if I do all of these things, then, then God will hear me. But can you see, well, we, we should see how that just doesn't make sense in the light of everything that we've looked at over the last few weeks. We are accepted by God by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus makes every prayer perfect. 
And Jesus says, no, prayer is not about performance. It's not about performance before other people. It's not about performance before God. And that's why Jesus' opening line of this Lord's Prayer is so important. We get it there uh, from verse 9. So Jesus says how not to pray. Don't pray with that heart, seeking to earn people's approval or or earn an audience with God. That totally misunderstands the gospel. How then should we pray? God is not a distant God who needs elaborate and impressive and long prayers to get through to him. Um, He is our Father. Jesus says, this sin is how you should pray. Our Father. He is our Father, our perfect Father. And he is our Father. Um, You see... That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, my Father in heaven. He, he, he intentionally broadens it out. It'll, all of us are levelled. We all have the same relationship to God. But this also binds us together, right? This is not an individualist's prayer. We pray as part of God's family through Jesus, not just as individuals. He is our Father, and he is our Father in heaven. Uh, He's not just a loving father who delights to hear his children but can't do anything about it. He is our loving father who delights to hear us, who is also the sovereign Lord of the universe, who reigns over all things, who rules over all history and is working everything out according to his perfect plans. And if that's true, well... We can start to see, can't we, how ridiculous it is to pray for the approval of other people <laughs> or how ridiculous it is to, to, to try and impress God with our prayers or try to manipulate him. If only we do this, this and this, then surely God will know. He is our Father who is in heaven. <laughs> he is our mighty Father. Uh, John Calvin, uh, a, a great theologian and reformer about 500 years ago wrote this about this line sorry it's not on the screen just listen it's a short little quote um, he, Calvin writes by the great sweetness of, his, of this name by the great sweetness of this name he frees us from all distrust so we're saying, by the great sweetness of this name that we are invited to call God. He frees us from all distrust. He is our Father, who is also the Lord of the universe. And knowing him as that frees us from all distrust. So that's how Jesus starts off this prayer. It's sort of, this is the address, I guess, the, the kind of first line, who we are praying to. But from this point on, as you read through the prayer, every line of the prayer is a request or a petition or it asks something, it begs something from God. And it's worth just reflecting on that, I think. Um, we, we, it, it's possible for Christians to get into, a, or, or anyone to get into a kind of way of thinking about prayer that 
almost sees asking of God as less spiritual or um, uh, uh, prayer is more about um, uh, some kind of internal state or experience. But in the New Testament, actually, the word to pray, it just means to ask, <laughs> to, to beg, to request. Uh, and the, the dominant... <laughs> theme of the prayers of the Bible is exactly that, calling on the name of the Lord, calling on God to act according to his good promises, according to his character, asking him. If God is our Father, what else would we expect? He invites us to ask him, to call on his name, to beg him to act. But what is it that those who are drawn into this if you're in Christ, what is it that we should be asking for? Uh, what is it we asking? If we share God's heart, what will our heart be in prayer? What we need is a Copernican revolution. So if you, there should be a slide coming up. There we go. Uh, I think that's Latin. Um, uh, the 16th century um, uh, astronomer, guy named Copernicus, he had this huge revolution where, if you're familiar with it, um, uh, the common sort of prevailing notion was that the sun rotated around the earth. The earth was at the centre. Um, but he completely reoriented everyone's framework by saying, no, 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 no the, the, the earth goes around the sun. Um, and this was like a massive um, shock and change of framework, a reorientation. And it's kind of, in a way, it's like a parable, actually, for for us, we, we want to be at the centre. It's nat natural in our kind of fallen state to, to want that. Everything revolves around me. Um, but Jesus' prayer, it kind of forces this total shift. It, it turns everything around. It upturns everything. I'm not at the centre. You're not at the centre. God is at the centre. And we revolve around him. Um, and the, the big picture of the first half of the Lord's Prayer is all, it's kind of all on the same theme, actually. This reorientation of our lives, not so that everything revolves around us, but so that we revolve around God. Um, this reorientation of our lives around God and His glory. So that's what Jesus goes on to do. We'll, we'll, we're only going to tackle the first half of the Lord's Prayer today, and then the second half next week where it changes tone a little bit and it's very important um, but, but it's also very important that this, all of this is at the, first, the start of the prayer it, it reorients us we can't get to the second half until we've dealt with the first half um, so Jesus goes on um, in verse 10 our Father in heaven keep that in your mind all the way through, he is our Father he is in heaven, he rules, he reigns Hallowed be your name. Not, um, I don't think I've ever heard the word hallowed apart from the Lord's Prayer. Uh, so if you're new to Christian things, it might be a bit strange for you. Um, it, it's a way of saying, it, it's related to the word holy. Um, it's a way of saying, may your, may, may your name be made holy. Be, holiness is this idea of being set apart as special and honoured and precious um, this is asking God, it's, it's pleading with God to make his name holy. Not in the sense that there's anything lacking in God, uh, but in the sense that in our own lives, 
in our own world. God's name is not hallowed as it should be. It's not recognised as it should. It's not honoured for God is not honoured for who he is. It's a prayer for ourselves um, that we would bring glory to God with the lives he gives us, that his name would be stamped upon us, <laughs> that he would be set apart as holy. It's also a prayer for the world. Um, I think this is um, just so important. Uh, it is, um, if God is God, and if he has done what he has done through Jesus, then it is an unspeakable tragedy that people reject and ignore the God who made them and who offers life through Jesus. We share the gospel. It's at, we sort of started this church to share, share Jesus with the 30,000 people on the south coast. Uh, we share the gospel because, because it's good for people. It really is. Now, if you're not a Christian yet this morning, it's good news for you. Uh, it's what all people really do need for themselves. But you see here another reason, a deep reason, to spread the news of Jesus. It is the desire to see God's name honoured as it should be to see his name set, set apart as holy. It grieves that it's not. And it prays that all people everywhere would, would do that, would glorify, honour, recognise the name of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy, made holy. Then in verse 10, your kingdom come. Uh, this is connected to the first. Uh, God's name, we, we plead with God to make his name holy. Um, how's that going to be? How is that going to happen? How is it that God's name is hallowed? Well, it is through the growth of his kingdom, his good and life giving rule. That's what happens when, Jesus, uh, when people hear the good news of Jesus and they respond. When they hear that Jesus is Lord, uh, he is the king, he is God's promised eternal king who died for them to give them forgiveness, who rose again to give them new life. When they hear that and they put their trust in Jesus, when they respond in repentance and faith, that's God's kingdom coming right there. There's God's kingdom growing. That's how God's name is made holy. God's kingdom comes, comes when people recognise, not only when people enter into his kingdom, but when all of us, right, all of us, when we recognise that we've kind of closed off rooms in our own hearts to God. You know that kind of feeling or that reality? Not necessarily a feeling, a reality. Uh, we close off areas in, of our lives to God. We say, we, you can't touch that. Um, I'll follow you here, but... Don't talk to me about that relationship or that ambition. Um, when, he, when we recognise that and when we admit our sin and when we, kind of, when we open that door and, and we, we're asking God to change us from the inside out, that's God's kingdom coming as well. Fully, uh, uh, and God's kingdom is coming and it will come. It will come fully and finally on the last day. 
This is a prayer that kind of yearns towards that. That incredible future. That day when all people will bend to Jesus. When there will be no more sadness, no more sickness, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. That day when God makes everything new. That's what this prayer is yearning for. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And the last one in this first half, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I reckon this is probably the scariest one of them all, actually, in this first half. It's a really confronting prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden as he faced his own death. He was looking forward to his own crucifixion. Uh, and he prayed to, to his father, Father, take this cup from me. And yet, not what I will, but what you will. It's a prayer of utter vulnerability before God. It's a prayer that places ourselves completely in his hands. Your will be done on earth, in my life, the same way as it is in heaven. Um, uh, one of an, another, a different reformer than Calvin, a guy called Luther. Uh, he kind of um, he didn't hold back when he said things, and he wrote really. I read I've read this a few times, and it sort of grates with me to read it, but I think it's worth sharing because I think it gets at something of what. The, 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 the shocking nature of what is being prayed for here. Luther writes, he paraphrases this part of the Lord's Prayer and he writes, Grant us grace to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, poverty, disgrace, suffering and adversity, and to recognise that in this your divine will is crucifying our will. Grant us grace to bear willingly all sorts of sickness, adversity, and to recognise that in this your divine will is crucifying our will. You won't be able to pray this prayer unless you know that God is your Father in heaven. You won't be able to, it'll be too radical, all too all-consuming. But God's will is done. It is done perfectly now in heaven. And it will be done perfectly on the last day uh, when his kingdom comes fully and finally. And so to pray this prayer, actually, it actually is just to line ourselves up with reality. Um, God's kingdom really is reality. That's reality. To live in line with God's will. To pray, your will be done in my life, whatever that looks like. I commit myself completely into your hands as my good and loving Father. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, how do we wrap this up, this first half of the prayer? It's really important that the prayer continues. We're going to continue thinking about it next week. Um, and Jesus invites us uh, to get specific with the things in our life to bring before God, to pray little prayers 
Um, and that's a really that's going that's that's a necessary and good part of prayer. God is your Father, and He delights to hear you. Uh, every prayer is a good prayer through Jesus, not because of yourself, but because of His work on the cross for you. So pray, uh, pray for whatever you want. Um, God is your Father, and Jesus opens the way up to to Him, fully. And for all eternity. Sometimes we can approach prayer anxiously, trying to get it right. Um, the big picture of prayer means we don't need to do that. We're free to just come before God as our Father and talk to Him, pray for anything, whatever we want. And like I said, next week we'll see there's an important part of just praying for our everyday needs for that. But what this part of the Lord's Prayer does for us uh, is to kind of before we get there, it asks us to examine our hearts and, and ask, well, sure, we can ask God whatever we want, but what do you want? What is it that you do want? What grips your thoughts? What grips your motivations, your desires? Becoming a Christian, if you, becoming a Christian involves a radical re-centering of your life around God and his plans and his purposes growing as a christian is like a continual wheel realignment you know I, um, that's no, i'm mixing metaphors too much that's a, a con, there's a continual realignment right that happens all the way through our lives so that as we live in the the wonder of the gospel over the, the that's why it's so important to have gone through the journey we have had to base this in the gospel as we live in the wonder of the gospel, that through Jesus, God is our good Father, we will increasingly, that question of, well, what is it that you want? The answer to that question will increasingly be, well, I want what God wants. I share his priorities, his heart, his vision, trusting that he is the source of all goodness and truth and beauty. See what Jesus does here, like always, he doesn't just leave things at the surface. This isn't kind of, he doesn't give a list of things you can pray for and things you can't pray for. You know, you can pray for a parking spot if you're going to do a good deed, but not if you're going to go shopping. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, Jesus gets to the heart and asks us, what, what is driving us? What is driving you? What's at, what's at the centre of your life? God is your good father. Come before him with any request. But have, have your heart tuned more and more with what he desires, what his purposes and his plans are, so that as you come to him, that'll bubble out of, that'll just flow out of you. Um, there's a great prayer in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. If you're familiar with that, um, the way that that's kind of set up is um, each week there's what's called a collect, uh, which is a prayer that people would pray every day or sometimes twice a day through the week. It's this kind of weekly prayer to spur you on through the week. As one of them, it's a bit, um, the language is sort of old and uh, uh, it's a complex, long sentence, so you've got to kind of bear with it. But it is, I think, a, a stunning and wonderful 
prayer in line with everything that the, this first half of the Lord's Prayer has been talking about. Um, I'm going to pray that in a moment. It's up on the screen. So if we can have that up on the screen. And as I pray it, perhaps you could pray it in your own mind as well. Uh, and use this as an opportunity to come before God as your heavenly Father, your Father who is in heaven, who rules and reigns. Uh, your Father whose name is holy uh, and whose holiness you desire to see spread through the whole world, uh, whose kingdom has come in the Lord Jesus, is coming among us as we repent and believe in him and will come fully and finally one day whose will is done perfectly in heaven and who we pray and which we pray will be done perfectly in our own lives. That's the first half of the Lord's Prayer. Um, I'm going to pray, as I said, this prayer that's up on the screen. Will you join me? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you are our Father. We praise you that you are Lord and we can trust you May your name be holy, made holy in our own lives and across the world. May your kingdom come in our own lives and across the world. May your will be done in our own lives and across the world. We pray this now and we pray this in the certain hope that one day all of these things will be perfectly fulfilled. Now we pray this rich prayer. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to love what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.